0: Hi, I'm Perry, and this is The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look from the perspective of a scientist at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 219. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is Valerie George. Hello, Valerie.
1: Hi, Perry. Happy May.
0: It's already May. Go figure. Well, we've got a big show today, because on today's show, we're going to be answering questions about whether the wait time is necessary when applying acids to your face, how you go about debating the product's safety with somebody, whether skin products with natural moisturizing factor work better, and if you should avoid glycerin and dimethicone in your hair care products. I know you're going to have a lot to say about that one, Valerie, right? Oh, yeah. Well, before we get started with that and some beauty science news, let's get on with some of that chit-chat that we're so famous for. Valerie, how are you holding up with this uh, self-quarantining stuff?
1: I'm I'm doing good.
0: I see that your governor in California just uh, had to chase all the people away from the beaches.
1: Well, we have this rare algae bloom that is happening, and it's creating this electric-looking wave when there's motion and the algae are disturbed at night or if a boat's cutting through the water. Uh, You guys can Google it. It looks like electricity, blue lightning in the water. It's pretty incredible. So people are flocking to the beaches. Also, it's been like 90 degrees here. Oh, uh, yeah. This huge heat wave that first hit California and is kind of sweeping across the whole nation people want to go to the water. It's silly, but uh, I personally want to stay in air conditioning when it gets that hot, but but people are flocking to the beaches. Yeah.
0: It's understandable. And to see bioluminescence in real life sounds pretty cool. Yeah. You know, here in Chicago, uh, with the approaching new month, we're still kind of on lockdown and they're adding this extra rule that if you're going into stores, now you're going to have to wear face masks.
1: Yeah, that's been a rule in Los Angeles for a couple weeks now.
0: Yep, How is it? Well, you know, I'm a little torn on the face mask thing. I I now of course I will follow the rules if it's a rule you have to do it. I've just been a bit skeptical about whether that's really helping much. And I have to say, I go running uh every day, actually. Today was a day 4182 in a row. And you know, I really can't run in a mask. So, but I'm not near people when I'm running, so I, it's probably not harmful. But I don't. What's what's your take on whether these masks for the general population? Of course, for like doctors and nurses and, and people who are around the virus, of course, masks are going to be helpful. And even I can totally understand it for people who work at grocery stores or they interact with a lot of people. But just some guy like me who's mostly in his house. who Sometimes he goes out running, and then maybe go to the grocery store once a week or something. You think I'm really uh, being a little cavalier about my mask choices?
1: <laughs> not at all. When I go walking outside with my dogs, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not going near people. I don't think I need to wear one. if If I'm not going near people, I'm not touching things. The virus lives in respiratory particles. If I were to cough or sneeze, they go out, they fall to the ground. They're not going to live hanging out in the air. Um, it's already been well-documented. This isn't an airborne virus in that sense that it's just floating through the air and you can catch it. So I think some people, you know, certainly if they want to take an extra precaution, that's fine. I don't know that it has to be, um, you know, if you're leaving your house, you have to wear a mask, but certainly if you're going into a store, into a public space, Wearing a mask will help you from spreading the virus to other people. Most of the masks people are wearing are not going to prevent them from getting the virus if they come right. in contact with someone who has it. So in that sense, I think it's, it's providing a little bit false sense of security, I think, in a bit for some people, for sure.
0: It, yeah, it's kind of the, almost the theater of safety. I, I don't know. But on the other hand, it's hard to argue against it, right? It's like, yeah,
1: I mean, for sure, I'm going to wear it if I'm out in public, or if I'm coming into contact with other people, I'll wear one as a, cur- I call it a courtesy mask, right, uh, right, because right. you know, I'm going to do the courtesy of wearing it and, you know, not spreading anything if I have anything. But also, I, I think, yeah, it's providing a false yeah. sense of security that I'm wearing this mask that I made in my basement with an old t-shirt, I'm not going (laughs) to get coronavirus. It's like, well, you're really not going to give coronavirus to someone else probably if you're wearing that. But yeah, yeah, I don't know.
0: These are strange times. And uh, I I just know when I sort of lifted my eyebrow about it, my wife sort of is pressuring me to wear them. And it is true when you go into the store and you're the only jackass without a mask on, you kind of feel a little (laughs) dumb.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's... It makes people feel good, so why not wear it, right? it does.
0: It does. Hey, just a program note, I appeared on the latest episode of the Echo Well podcast speaking on the subject of communicating science online and the challenges that we face in the beauty industry trying to set the record straight about busting myths and things. Uh, I put the link in the show notes if you're interested to hear me pontificate on someone else's podcast.
1: Yeah, Jen does a great job. I've been on the Echo Well a couple times talking about hair science it's a podcast put on by a gal named jen we've talked about it before they actually hosted a sustainable beauty night in los angeles a few months ago pre-covid uh but yeah jen does a great job so we'll post the link to that
0: i remember those days when i could just hop on a plane and feel all carefree
1: (laughs) and touch other people and say hello right
0: hey there was just one other thing before we get started with our beauty news I saw that uh, J&J and TALC were in the news again this week.
1: Yeah, what's our TALC update?
0: Well, uh, according to headlines, the uh, U.S. judge had ruled that TALC lawsuits are being allowed to go ahead, and so now there's like 16,000 TALC lawsuits nationwide in the United States are going to advance. Uh, but what I found most interesting about this, though, was just the different way that the headlines were written for uh, like an industry publication versus a consumer publication. And the Oh, consum- I love
1: comparing headlines. What was it like?
0: Well, the consumer publication um and they specifically talked about the the experts that would be allowed to speak that there was some there was some conflict about J&J and the plaintiffs and saying, "Oh, we don't want their Experts to be able to speak. And so the headlines, uh, so the judge ultimately said that uh, the plaintiffs who are going against JNJ will be allowed to bring in their experts to make the case that talc uh, is related to ovarian cancer. And so the headlines for like Reuters and things that go to consumers are like, uh, plaintiffs allowed to use their experts, right? Um, the headline in the, there's a, there's a, industry publication called Special Chem. The The headline for them was that Judge Prohibits Certain Plaintiff's Testimony from J&J Telk Ovarian Cancer Ties. So, <laughs> same, same results. The headlines seem very different to me. It's very interesting. Yeah,
1: polar opposites. Yeah, wow. It's a perfect segue for beauty news. So, I know historically, I've not been participating in COVID beauty news. I actually thought maybe I could do something fun this week. I initially was going to put out a top 10 COVID science news um, stuff. And yeah, well, that was a lot of work. I've had a rough week. (laughs) I've been taking a finance (laughs) course, which um, if you follow me on Instagram, I've talked about it a little bit. Basically, I struggled the whole time and I've been like super stressed out. So I I took it a little easy this week on the news. And I did find something interesting about COVID, and I thought I'd share it because it kind of relates to what we were talking about last week.
0: Yeah, last week we were talking about the uh, just our beauty routines and how it's been affected.
1: Yeah, we weren't formally polled by anybody, but there is <laughs> we a company called the Benchmarking Company. They poll a lot of people, and they actually came out with this really interesting survey results, a report based on... Test uh, COVID 19, like what is going on in beauty in the age of COVID 19. And it was a really cute infographic series, which you know prompted me to read it because it was very cute. I was like, What's this? Someone wearing a mask and putting on a mask, two different types of masks. Anyway, um one get it, one is for like sure, COVID sure, and the other yeah. is for the skin. Oh,
0: I get it. Yeah. <laughs> double mask,
1: yeah. yes. It was a yeah, it was a <laughs> double masking routine. Anyway, so yeah, it was just like a different, um, different things. It's like, how has online shopping changed? How are consumers thinking? And there was a little segment on how her beauty routine helps her retain normalcy and mitigate stress. And a couple interesting facts, 90% of women are sticking to their normal skincare routine. Okay. I'm in the 10%. (laughs) 66% of women say that taking care of their skin, hair, and other beauty needs reduces stress. I would agree. Yeah. Fifty Only 50% of people are still styling their hair regularly.
0: I believe that.
1: Yeah. 43% are still wearing makeup as they normally do. 50% hmm. of women are not. And 41% are spending more time than usual pampering themselves, which is great.
0: I mean, I guess you got more time at home, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. And I think that ties into, uh, you know, just pampering yourself reduces stress levels. It's like, let me take a bath with these salts or let me um, do this extra masking. I find it relaxing for sure. However, though, despite all those statistics, there's no need for people to get dolled up at home every day. At least that's what the surveys say. 49% of people report spending most days in their pajamas or comfortable clothing.
0: Yeah, I I believe that. I would t-
1: I would totally agree there. I've seen I've seen people on Zoom calls. No one's, you know, it's getting progressively worse. I would say it's uh becoming a joke at work. And I personally haven't once worn anything that requires a button. Oh, right. From the waist out, so we're in trouble. Uh, come quarantine end time, thirty percent of people are shaving less than normal.
0: I believe Agreed. that. It's like winter. 36- thirty right? six. <laughs>
1: Yeah, thirty six percent are spending less time applying makeup, hmm. spending less time. So the previous statistic was forty three percent of people are still still wearing makeup as they normally do, but thirty six percent of them are spending less time applying uh, it. Okay, thirty two percent percent are spending less time styling their hair, and sixteen percent of people are wearing deodorant less frequently.
0: Well, I I, I believe that you know I believe what's... everything. Yeah. You know what's most interesting is like I don't think my routine has changed one iota. But that's what happens when you're working at home all the time.
1: Yeah, my routine definitely <laughs> has gone downhill. It's it's not pretty, guys. Um it's not it's not good.
0: Oh well, come on, it's not that bad.
1: <laughs> yeah. Today I was like, is that my beat? i just want to tell the truth you know
0: you know i was mentioning to uh my wife this morning that i was at my lowest weight all year and she just looked at me and glared
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i'm wearing elastic waist pants so i mean you have that <laughs>
0: there you go all right how about we go into my news story what'd you see you know, here's yet another beauty company launching a genetic test that is supposed to analyze your DNA and give you advice about the skincare that you should use. According to a report in Cosmetic Business, health and beauty retailer Superdrug has entered into a partnership with Circle DNA to bring skin DNA testing to their store shelves. The test is said to deliver more than 500 personalized reports across 20 genetic categories, including Beauty elements such as skin aging, wrinkles, pigmentation, and other health categories, which made me think, you know, really there's, you'd think there'd be more than 500 different options for human DNA, but I guess 500 it is. Yeah. Now, one part that I did find interesting is that they claimed that the DNA test can determine if your skin cells can deflect UV rays. How how does DNA do that?
1: That's interesting. Yeah, I'd want to see what studies they used for that.
0: Well, accordingly, that, this would tell consumers if they need to use a higher SPF factor. I, I just I wonder how that would work. Right?
1: Yeah, and I disagree with that.
0: Everyone should use a high SPF, right?
1: Exactly. And last week we talked about, you know, when you talk about SPF 20, 30, 50, the incremental benefit is really not that high. Um, yeah. So I, th- I think that's right. a little silly that you would make that recommendation to someone just based on how effective spf filters work but i i guess i'd have to see the test in action to see if the recommendation really holds true
0: well it makes for like a logical marketing story if but maybe not a a meaningful one mhm earlier this month the beauty brand codex beauty partnered with the dna testing company origin which the e in or, or it's orge3n so i don't know, origin <laughs> i don't know. Mm-hmm. And they launched a test-slash-ingredient database which helps consumers pair their DNA profile with specific ingredients. I mean, the aim of all of these types of products is ostensibly to help consumers make more informed decisions about the skin care and ingredients that they buy. I'm not sure how that does that. Overwhelming people with information that <laughs> doesn't mean much. Uh, but I guess, you know, people like that idea. But I've got to tell you, there are two big reasons that... I don't encourage people to use these services. Now, first, they don't really work the way that they're marketed. Skin products are not sophisticated enough to look at your DNA and then tell you what ingredients you need, right? It's just, we don't, our technology is not that advanced.
1: And genetics are so complicated, too. There's not just, like, your genetic makeup, but there's epigenetics.
0: And there's your microbiome, too. Like, it's it's a complicated system. Now, they could tell you your exact DNA composition and that's not going to help you one bit as to telling you which skincare product or ingredient that you should use. There are just so many factors beyond your DNA sequence that matter. But you know what the other big reason I would encourage people to avoid these things? It all comes down to your personal privacy.
1: (laughs) Yeah which is huge.
0: I, I mean these companies seriously are under no obligation to keep your genetic information secret. They can do pretty much whatever they want with your information. And they have your name tied to your DNA. And it, it, it doesn't just have to be the information that they send you. Once they have your DNA sample and your personal information, they can pretty much sell that info to anyone they want. If they go to a pharmaceutical company and they use your genetic sequence to come up with some new wonder drug, they own it. I know and advertisers, police, insurance companies, it just does not seem like a good idea to give a company this kind of information about you, so
1: didn't twenty three and me come under attack last year or two years ago because buried in the bowels of their privacy policy, they admitted to selling your genetic information to pharmaceutical companies.
0: Yeah, if I recall something like that, I also heard a story. I think it was on, uh, on one of the podcasts that I listened to, where they were able to track down a serial killer because he had uh, used one of these genetic services through like ancestral DNA, or not even him, like one of his relatives did, and they were able to wow. <laughs> identify who it was. Yeah, it's so a fascinating. So I should. I'll put a link to the show in the show notes.
1: Yeah. Good thing also slash bad thing, right? right.
0: I mean... <laughs> well, yeah. No, it was good. But have you ever done one of these DNA tests?
1: No, I haven't. Uh, just because I, I'm i uncomfortable with the privacy policies. Now, I actually am someone, when I sign up for an app or I buy something, I actually read the privacy policy uh, to see what I'm agreeing to. Yeah. Um, even this lawyer at my work was like, who reads those? Um, <laughs> but any, anyway, I do just because I'm like, what are you doing with my information? Who, And most importantly, who are you selling my information to? I yeah. have a huge problem with my information being sold, even just like my home address, because I don't want to be solicited. And it's crazy how your information is used and honestly abused. So I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. And that's why I haven't done the test yet.
0: Absolutely. Well, I actually did do one. My sister gave me this one like discover your superpower. <laughs> she thought it was clever. So, so I I did it. No, I kind of regret it, but you know, because what it are, didn't did it, it didn't it didn't tell me I had super intelligence or super speed, which are the only two I want.
1: Did it reveal anything interesting from it? No.
0: I mean, it was it was it was clever, but no, it was essentially like an a, a, a dist- astrological horoscope or something like that that's that's what i looked at it so yeah are we ready to move on to some beauty questions
1: yeah let's do it
0: first one we got today is an audio question this comes to us from shay
2: hi valerie and perry this is shay from washington state i love the podcast thanks so much for all of the great info my question is about wait times after applying acids After cleansing about three nights per week, I apply COSRX BHA Blackhead Power Liquid, wait 20 minutes, then apply COSRX AHA Whitehead Power Liquid, wait 20 minutes, then go on with the rest of my routine. From what I've read, the reasoning behind waiting 20 minutes after applying the acid is that it takes 20 to 30 minutes to neutralize. Therefore, by waiting, you are getting more benefit from the product— And that applying other products over acid before it has neutralized naturally will neutralize the acid. Also, the possibility of irritation is said to increase if you don't have the wait time between the two acids. Do you think this wait time is necessary? And given that BHA is oil-soluble and AHA is water-soluble, which one should go first? Thanks so much.
0: Well, thanks for that question. Wait times, are they really necessary? You know, necessary is one of those words that I kind of pronounce uh, incorrectly on purpose.
1: (laughs) Really? On purpose? Who pronounces a word wrong on purpose?
0: I have about six words that I pronounce wrong on purpose. Necessary, secretary. um, I say sorry. Yeah. I I only think of them when I I actually say them, but that's... (laughs) And I can't even say it right now. I've been saying it wrong so long.
1: Well, the question is why?
0: <laughs> I have no idea. I have long stopped trying to figure out why I do anything. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So let's get back to the wait times. Um, okay,
1: well, first, before we get to wait times, I just yeah. want to say, what a cool name, Shay. I actually was thinking about this. Like, if I had a kid, the name Shay is really cool because I like Shea butter. Oh. I have a one of my cosmetic chemist besties, her name is Esther, which is a type of functional group in chemistry. Like, how cool is it that she's a chemist and she has like a chemical functional group as a name? I just I get so envious of people like this.
0: Hi, I'm Esther, organic chemist.
1: (laughs) Okay Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, Shay, what a cool name.
0: Yeah, so I looked into this. The BHA blackhead powder liquid has willow bark water, uh, and then it has this – but the, the main ingredient it has is this BHA, betaine salicylate, which is like a, a more gentle version of salicylic acid. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's going to be a light exfoliator. The other product you talked about was has an AHA, and it's a bit stronger of an exfoliator. Um, so the acid is a little stronger. It's going to strip a little more. Now the reality is you probably don't need both of these products. So that's going to cut down on some of your time right there, right? <laughs> um you know, i using both a BHA and an AHA and the same thing, that's a lot of exfoliating going on.
1: Well, I'll I'll tell you why they're doing it uh because okay. some of the I'll call it education, and I'm going to put that in air quotes. I wish there was like something we could do to signify, you know, by voice or something's so in air quotes, the education is well, you need an AHA because it's water-soluble, and the BHA goes into your pores because it's oil-soluble. That's the education that product companies are putting out there for people on why you would need both. So I totally get why Shay's using both.
0: Yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, I would be of the opinion that if you use just one of them, you wouldn't notice much difference.
1: That's probably true, yeah.
0: So that means if you're only going to use one of those and your skin can handle it, use the AHA product. Now, as far as the waiting time, I looked, there's no evidence that it's going to get any extra benefit if you're going to wait that 20 minutes between applying products. The reality is it does not take 20 to 30 minutes for these acids to neutralize. The reaction actually is pretty much instantaneous. This notion of waiting this extra time, it probably adds to the experience of it. Or as you said, you wait a little time when you apply these products.
1: I do. I don't wait 20 to 30 minutes, but I just wait until, like, the product dries, which is, like, a minute or two.
0: Yeah, and it, like, aesthetically makes sense to me if you're waiting until it dries. It probably doesn't add any extra benefit, but I can—it totally makes sense that you would do that. But you certainly don't have to wait 20 minutes in between.
1: Well, I'm going to keep waiting until it dries. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing it, whether it works or not. I feel good doing it that way. Now, 20 to 30 minutes, I, I think that's a thats a bit excessive.
0: It's the same kind of advice I give the people who put the conditioner on their hair and they wait, because you don't actually have to wait. You're not going to find any difference. At least I've never, I've, and I've tested, I've specifically said, all right, if I wait 15 minutes, I'll leave this thing on 15 minutes, and I'm just doing trust tests, and I could show no difference if you just do it, put it on... Rinse it off, or put it on and wait 15 minutes and rinse it off. I saw, I found no difference. You, you might have some different experience, but I, I just could not replicate that.
1: Well, what about Shay? Let's just talk about Shay.
0: <laughs> Let's talk <laughs> about Shay. Well, the bottom line is, I don't think there's really a definitive answer, but I would say, for sure, you don't have to wait 20 minutes. If you want to wait, if you want to do the Valerie method of just wait till it evaporates, you, it'll feel better, but it'll probably work if you just. Put it on and don't wait at all. All right. Next up is uh, question two. Uh, but What do we have, Valerie?
1: Yeah, well, uh, someone anonymous sent me a question where they recently had a conversation with a makeup artist about products to clean makeup brushes. So not skin, huh. makeup brushes. And she said that the person she was speaking with was a little bit argumentative with her. And said that the Johnson & Johnson baby shampoo they were talking about in their conversation contains harsh ingredients that are bad for the skin and for the waterways. And you shouldn't use them to clean your brushes. Instead, this individual had created a product called Luxury Vegan Makeup Brush Soap Ah. and said you should use that. And this individual that contacted me said, I don't know the ingredients well enough to tell this person Yes, the products are good for the skin and the waterways. You're right, and this individual said, "Do you mind weighing in, or can you direct me on how to sort this out on my own?"
0: So, how do you figure out whether uh some product is unsafe and whether another product is better to use
1: yeah, and while we are excellent resources to use the beauty brains, that's what we're here for. This is the kind of stuff we do there are some things that you can do on your own. If you don't want to say, Hey, you know what, can you hold on for a week or, you know, seven months in the case of Frank, uh, who had the caffeine question a few weeks ago, um, about the Keel's eye cream. I'm just kidding. It did take us seven <laughs> months to answer that. Uh, you know, but if you don't want to wait and, and you're looking to say, how can I engage in this dialogue with someone? Yeah. I'm very happy to share, um, some tips with you to help you get through it. So I I Googled the product name and I wasn't sure if this was the product this person was talking about that the person created. Uh, But really, I think there's two separate questions here. How do you research on your own to have a discussion with an individual about benefit or safety of a product? And what do we, the beauty brains, think of the ingredients? Well, the first thing, and I think we can address them at the same time and answer both questions. The first thing I keep in mind when I'm discussing whether this product is better than that product with somebody is I ask, what is their belief system? The person that was being spoken to clearly has a definition of what they think a good product for the skin is. And when I go to that person's website, cause you know, they said, Hey, I created this product. I think that they think a good product is vegetable based, meaning vegan, sulfate free, fragrance free, and has antimicrobial and antibacterial properties. Whether that definition is true or not, or whether we agree with it or not, that's just really the definition that this person is using for that basis. And we can ask ourselves, okay, is the Johnson & Johnson product, does that fit their definition? And when I look at the Johnson & Johnson product ingredient list, I can see, well, it has a fragrance, so it's not fragrance-free. Although Johnson & Johnson does disclose all of the allergens that are present, but the other requirements are met. So
0: Yeah. It's that J and J shampoo is that's vegan.
1: Yeah. Right? and <laughs> There's it's no animal free. products in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's um has a preservative system, so it's going to be uh antimicrobial, I guess, you know. Um yeah. but it has a fragrance in it. Okay, so it so it doesn't meet that. You can't argue against the facts. The second thing I do is check whether or not if what the person is saying is negative about this product or good about that product. Are those claims valid? People say a lot of things. Do they have any factual basis? So this person is saying Johnson & Johnson's tear-free shampoo has ingredients that are bad for the skin. Is that true? Well, aside from the fact that every company is required to prove that their products are safe, and certainly a company the size of Johnson & Johnson is doing so, what ingredients are present in the product that is giving this individual an impression that the j j shampoo is bad for skin? Well, I do see some glucosides, desyl glucoside, laura glucoside, and there are some studies that show those surfactants can be irritating, which I think, I think can be true at high levels. I personally don't like these surfactants, uh, the alkyl polyglucosides. I think they make hair feel like trash, but I guess babies <laughs> like them and it's tear-free, right? Anyway... Oh, tells us what you that... really
0: think about glucosides. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Avoid them. Anyway, no, I, I just personally don't like the feel of them. Uh, but anyway, even though Johnson & Johnson is using them and there's data about the individual surfactants causing irritation on the skin, I don't think that necessarily means the product is irritating. I mean, again, Johnson & Johnson has to substantiate the safety of the products, especially uh, when we're talking about something that's claimed to be tear-free, it needs to be gentle on the eyes, and, and it's for babies, yeah, uh, so that's the sure. Johnson & Johnson product. Let's look at this makeup brush cleaner that this person has created. I'm looking at the ingredient listing, and it you know, appears to be pretty innocuous. Um, there is one ingredient, pentasodium pentatate. It's a chelating agent. There are studies that show it's it's non-irritating, but then there's also studies that show mild irritation. So I think it has a range. Again, that's at 100% concentration. But uh, pentasodium pentatate is considered a hazardous substance uh, oh, on the safety data sheet. If you look at it, it has all these hazard warnings all over it. So, I mean, I'm sure it's fine when used in the product as is, but if you want to look at the raw data, I don't think this person has a leg to stand on if they want to nitpick and pull out, you know, ingredients. So, again, while their overall product is fine, and again, the dose is the poison, right. Um you know you kind of have to be careful when when you're talking about this ingredient's bad or this ingredient's good uh so that's that's about the safety of the product on the person. This person also alleges that the their product is good for the waterways, and I think mm. that is implying the j and j product is not good for the waterways. Well, how do you determine that? Well, what they mean is their product or their product's ingredients, once they are washed off of the skin or off of the brush and goes down the drain, what happens to their ingredients in the waterways? Do they readily biodegrade? Are they harmful to aquatic life? That's another factor you can look at. I'm not sure if that's what this individual had in mind. I didn't have the conversation with them, but in looking at their ingredients, I would say this is likely true. What you do is you look at the, the ingredient and you pull up a safety data sheet for that ingredient. And in section 12, they have um, ecological data and it will tell you whether the ingredient readily biodegrades or not. It will also have information about whether or not the ingredient is harmful to aquatic life. Again, keeping in mind that that's the ingredient at 100%, it's not necessarily the dose that it's being used in the formula, but you can extrapolate some of that information to get those ideas. And while I didn't pull every ingredient um, in the lady's ingredient listing of her product, yeah, I would say there's nothing really alarming. However, uh, the Johnson & Johnson product, this is probably why she brought this up. It does contain EDTA which is not readily biodegradable, but eventually it will biodegrade and it has a little bit of a bad rap uh, for the water systems, especially in Europe. So I could see why she's saying that. But if you wanted to, uh, you know, get into it with this person, I would just get the inky name find out what the chemical name is, find a safety data sheet on it and just look at section 12 um, in the safety data sheet there. It's kind of a lot of work. That's why I I didn't do it, but those are the (laughs) steps that you would take. And then last but not least, I would ask myself, what's the end game here? Why is this individual Ah, making these statements that, well, my product is good for skin and the waterways and and the J&J product isn't like what advantage do they have? What do they have to gain from having that viewpoint and the, the reason they're saying this is they've created their own product. So, of course, they're going to uh, try to prove that it's better than anything else that's existing on the market.
0: Yeah, that's whenever I hear somebody saying one product's better than the other product, uh, you, can, you can bet dollars to donuts that they're probably financially benefiting from you buying the other product.
1: Yeah, which is why beauty influencers, you know, which are, are marketing vehicles, they are... F- now they're legally obligated to you know, report, did I get this as a sample? Is it on my own volition or am I being paid uh, to make, make these statements? It so definitely changes your, your ability to accept that information. Um, and I do want to make one final comment. Another reason this person, and I, again, I don't know why they were discussing the J&J product. One of the reasons it may have been brought up that the product is in a bit of a negative light is that a couple years ago, there was this huge debacle that Johnson & Johnson had been using quaternium 15 as a preservative in their product. Uh, Quaternium 15 is safe when used, but it is a formaldehyde donor. That's how it preserves the product. And they became heavily under attack, even though they stuck to their guns and said, you know what, this ingredient is safe. We really stand by the safety, but we're going to reformulate the product anyway. You know, they caved into consumer pressure uh, despite the safety of the product, the safety of the ingredient as a preservative, and the years of safety and non-reporting of adverse reactions um, on the market—they reformulated it anyway. And that's consumer pressure, right? People, if people don't want to buy something, no matter how safe it is, you know, you kind of have to create what they want to buy. It's, it's a vicious cycle. But I'm thinking maybe that's why the product came up as being kind of unsafe. Anyway,
0: sure. well, we'll
1: uh, I, post both ingredient listings in the show notes and and you guys can take a stab at it if you'd like.
0: I think there are a couple of things. First that the reason that they reformulated was because around the world in other places in the world like in Japan they ban uh formaldehyde donors, you can't use them. And so J&J had a baby shampoo formula uh, outside of the United States that didn't contain this formaldehyde donor and the NGOs, uh, you know, campaign for safe cosmetic or something, they made a big deal about how J&J is producing things that are safer for consumers in Japan and not in the United States. A fallacious argument, totally, but that's (laughs) probably, J&J just probably said, you know, let's standardize it throughout the world.
1: Yeah, and which is very difficult to do, by the way. So many geographies have different regulations. It's very hard to have a you know, in air quotes, global skew. Uh, But anyway, hopefully that helps you figure out how to sort it out on your own. You can look at the safety data sheet uh, to get some basic safety information. Keep in mind, uh, the safety data sheet does include animal testing that is known for that chemical. It doesn't mean that supplier tested the ingredients on animals, but they're pulling together animal testing information that is used on other markets. And, you know, the reality is, Some ingredients have been tested on animals. That doesn't mean you throw out the the safety data, but hopefully that helps you. And, of course, we're always here to help as well.
0: Yeah. All right. Question number three. This comes to us from Deborah. She says, what are your thoughts on moisturizer formulated with elements that are found naturally in skin? For example, The Ordinary has these natural moisturizing factors and hyaluronic acid Specifically, are these formulas better for damaged or sensitive skin? An interesting question. Let's first talk about the NMF or the natural moisturizing factor. These are the components that are in your body naturally. The natural moisturizing factors are produced in your dermis and then they send it up into the epidermis and the stratum corneum. And if you analyze the natural moisturizing factor, the NMF, you'll see that it consists of about 40% amino acids, 12% sodium PCA, Uh, 12% lactate, about 8% sugars like glycerol, 7% urea, and and a bunch of other stuff. Hyaluronic acid makes its way in there too. Sodium PCA is actually really important uh, because it helps the skin uh, hold on to moisture. It's a, a natural humectant. We've spoken about humectants before. Yeah. So do products that have these things, and it makes logical sense. Like if your body produces these things to moisturize your skin... Why don't you just put them in products and you can put them on your body and your body doesn't have to make these things? Well, I don't really think it works that way. Now, it is true that these ingredients do work. Uh, They are going to provide you moisturizing benefits. For sure, yeah. But the reality is that um, we as scientists have measured these ingredients and when they work the best, we use them. But there are other ingredients that your body doesn't produce that work perfectly well and work even better really (laughs) the natural moisturizing factor is just a thing that kind of evolved over time and it works well enough but evolution doesn't care if you have like nice skin it just wants to make sure that you don't get uh you know bacteria and viruses in there it doesn't want it doesn't care if you have wrinkles like evolution doesn't care about wrinkles right when you want your skin to not look naturally not to age naturally not to get broken down by damage from the sun you have to put unnatural things on your skin sometimes i mean that's my that's my take on it Certainly, the natural moisturizing factor makes for a good marketing story because it's logical. Your body produces this, so why don't we just put that on there? And that's a lot of cosmetic marketing, is that? But that does not necessarily mean it's going to lead to the best working product. You know, why does the natural moisturizing factor work? Because it can hold moisture. Well, if you put ingredients on there that aren't natural but they hold more moisture, maybe that's a better route to go. So, the question is, do these products with the natural moisturizing factor work better? I would say they do work. I wouldn't say that they work better though.
1: I think that's a really fair statement. For sure. But also if if you like the sound of sodium PCA, <laughs> this is me like succumbing to marketing. Um, you know what? Go ahead and Indeed. buy it and use it.
0: <laughs> you can try it. Get your hyaluronic acid. Sure, glycerin will work perfectly fine, but <laughs> you I am I'm such a sucker.
1: Yourself. <laughs> but I feel good. It's fine. Indeed. Well, our last question comes from Paula. She says, when looking for new products for myself and clients, Paula is a stylist. To help strengthen or moisturize hair, what are some ingredients I should look for? I have a brand I've used for years that I love and have always felt made a huge difference in my hair. But if I remember correctly, I looked the other day and it had glycerin and dimethicone high up on the list, which makes me just think it's coating my hair.
0: Dun, dun, dun.
1: <laughs> well, Paula, first of all, if you have loved the brand for years and you've always felt the, it made a huge difference in your hair, does it matter if it contains glycerin and dimethicone? That, that's the first thing I want to ask. But, you know, if you're genuinely concerned about these ingredients, that's fine. It's okay, too. It doesn't hurt to take a look and see what's going on. True. I wouldn't be too worried about glycerin and dimethicone, though. They're used in products for two different reasons. Perry just talked about glycerin a second ago. It's used to attract moisture uh, to wherever you're using it. If the product that you're talking about is a shampoo or conditioner, a product that's rinsed off your hair, the glycerin's just going down the drain. It's not really adding any value to the product. It's kind of a waste to put glycerin in shampoos and conditioners or masks, in my opinion, if you're using it for performance. Yeah. Brands do it anyway for various reasons like stability or lowering the freezing point of the product. However, if this product that you're using is left on the hair and it contains glycerin, I do find that glycerin can coat the hair. I think it leaves hair feeling a little tacky. It's certainly not harming the hair, but sometimes you want this coating for a reason. Sometimes the coating is a good thing. I personally don't like the feel. Um, whether or not a product has glycerin in it or you like it as a personal preference. I just don't like the feeling of glycerin being left on the hair. However, if you are using glycerin in a leave-on product, I do find that it can coat the hair, and sometimes it leaves the hair feeling a little tacky. It's certainly not harming the hair because sometimes things coating the hair is a good thing. Coating the hair can increase lubricity, it helps with combing, reduces breakage. Really, it's about personal preference. I just don't like the feeling of glycerin being left on the hair.
0: You know what I like about glycerin in hair? It makes it taste a lot better, it's sweeter. You know. <laughs> Just...
1: Glycerin is also used in the <laughs> confection industry. Um, when right. I first found out that like right. cupcake frosting had propylene glycol and glycerin in it, I was like, "What?" But it's good. I love that it's sugary,
0: sugar. <laughs> sugary <laughs> yeah. sweetness. So if, if you see yeah. somebody licking your hair, you know you might have glycerin in
1: it. Yeah. By the way, in manufacturing, when you have like these big totes of propylene glycol or glycerin, you do have to have mechanisms in place because fruit flies get really attracted to it, especially if <laughs> some is left dripping out of the spout and stuff like that. It's, it's very delicious. <laughs> anyway, dimethicone, on the other hand, uh, its use of formulations is complex because dimethicone is a very generic term for a type of silicone molecule. There are some really lightweight dimethicones that provide good rinse feel. Those don't remain on the hair, but rather they just get rinsed down the drain when you're in the shower or they volatilize in the atmosphere because they're so lightweight. Then you have the dimethicones that are heavier in weight and they remain on the hair. They can almost even feel kind of sticky that are so heavy. Those provide lubricity to the hair. They make calming the hair down a little bit easier. So if you want to weigh the hair down, and they can be used for frizz protection as well.
0: And they make cleaning your beakers a lot harder too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really stick to the beaker. They can be sticky. Anyway, the point is you want them to coat the hair or they can't do their job. So if you're looking at an ingredient listing on a label and you see the word dimethicone, you don't always know which one is being used. That's the hard part about reverse engineering products with the word dimethicone because you don't know exactly which cenostoke dimethicone was used. But anyway... You want them in there. You either want them to coat the hair or you want them to go down the drain. And that really has to do with the product benefit. So let's talk about your your end need. You you want products to strengthen or moisturize the hair. I wouldn't worry too much about whether glycerin or dimethicone is present or not as a deterrent. Instead, I would look for products, honestly, that contain protein. Protein works as a form of scaffolding on the hair. They're film formers. They, They coat the hair in a way and act as a strengthening network around the hair fiber. Wheat protein is actually the number one protein I would recommend for hair strength. It's famous for that. A lot of people worry about, oh, it has wheat in it, it has gluten. Don't even worry about that. Wheat protein, when it's present in a cosmetic product, has to be chopped down into very tiny pieces because there's... Right, it's
0: hydrolyzed, yeah.
1: Yeah. You can't have too big of a protein on the skin. It can cause irritation. So everyone in the cosmetic industry chops up the proteins into hydrolyzed wheat protein. And when you chop it up, you've also chopped up the gluten. So you can't detect that gluten is present in the product. So don't worry about that. But wheat protein is great for hair strength. Additionally, if you're interested in moisture, I think hydrolyzed soy protein or milk protein, if you you don't mind having an animal derived version are really excellent for increasing the moisture feel of hair. Uh, they work really well. And then, of course, you can always go to conventional chemistry and look for an ingredient like polyquaternium thirty-seven, which leaves the hair feeling really slippy, hydrated, and conditioned. That's an excellent for that um, ingredient for that purpose as well.
0: It's almost never the case that if you see an ingredient in a formula, you shouldn't use it because a lot of how an ingredient works depends on how it's formulated and the quality of the formula. So that's just not it's a logical heuristic to use but it's just not an accurate one.
1: Yeah. So anyway, I hope that gives you some tips on how to find the right product for you and if you have a favorite protein and you're a formulator listening to our show, let us know. I love proteins. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Protein Talk. Maybe we'll put that up on Instagram. (laughs) All right, that looks like that brings us to the end of the show. I hear the music. If you get a chance, can you go over to iTunes and leave us a review? That was going to help other people find the show and ensure that we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And you know what, Valerie? What? We are the longest-running beauty podcast of all the entire universe
1: I think (laughs) we were one of the first beauty podcasts and we're the longest running that's pretty cool also follow us on our various social media accounts on Instagram we're at the beauty brains 2018 on Twitter we're at the beauty brains and we have a Facebook page
0: one more thing the beauty brains are also on Patreon if you want to support the show Patreon really is the best way to do that this will help keep the show ad free and is the best way to keep a financial bias out of the show If you want to see us keep doing what we're doing, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe.
1: Thanks again for listening, everyone, and remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Now
0: cue the cats. (laughs) Kittens.